With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we are here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 31st episode of my show. I use my show to help raise the awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues. And I also love to provide listeners with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and to better protect your privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, CastBox, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And please subscribe to my show on Voice America Business Channel site. A special hello to my Philippines listeners, where I will be visiting and speaking for two days in September at the Data Privacy Asia Conference. And I also have a large number of new listeners in Brazil, Chile, and South Africa. So welcome to you also. And thank you to all my listeners. I appreciate all of you in the approximately 100 other countries who are also tuning in. Also, please check out my websites, Simbus360.com and privacyguidance.com. Now note, I'm currently doing a complete overhaul of my privacy guidance site. So it's going to be looking very different and much better really soon. Actually, my 21-year-old son just recently joined my business and he's going to be doing this website facelift for me and he's very talented. So thank you very much, Noah. If you're interested in being a sponsor or advertiser for my radio show, please also get in touch. You know, I have on my bucket list visiting all seven continents, and I have two to go, Africa and Antarctica. So if any of you are from Africa or southern South America, which looks like it has the closest access to Antarctica, but of course, Australia is pretty close, and you need help with information, security, or privacy, then please get in touch. My August Privacy Professor Tips message was published on July 20th. Did you get yours? Well, if not, please sign up for them. They've always been free. I am publishing my September tips message this week. You can sign up for these tips messages by privacyguidance.com and your email in the box in the upright. And send me an email letting me know who your privacy hero is. This can be some somebody in life. I'm recognizing privacy heroes in my monthly tips messages throughout 2018. So today, my tip of the week 
relates to the apps you use. Now, on August 22nd, it was widely reported that Facebook pulled its data security app, Onavo, O-N-A-V-O, from the Apple App Store after Apple determined that Onavo violated Facebook's data collection policies. This is a good reminder for all of you to periodically review the apps that you're using on your devices and those apps that you are not using on your devices. Those unused apps could actually sucking a lot of data from your phone or whatever device that you have it on and sending it to the app vendors and then they might be sending that data on to unlimited others. You know, it's always good to take a few minutes each month or each week if you tend to download a lot of apps and number one, completely remove all of the apps you've downloaded but have not used in the last month. And number two, review the terms of use and privacy policies for each of the apps. Now, if an app does not have such policies, then don't use it. Uninstall it. If the app policy is vague about the data being collected from you or with whom they're sharing it, then don't use it. Uninstall it too. You know, the Anavo situation points out how apps could be taking data from you that you do not want taken. And it may be being shared to others that they don't specify or that they vaguely reference as trusted partners. So keep your apps cleaned up on your smartphones and all the other devices that you might have apps that you're using or not using. Uh, This will better protect your data and your privacy. So I'm really excited to be speaking at the Spotlight on Security Workshop in Overland Park, Kansas on September 5th. In my talk, I will cover five important areas that organizations need to understand about how using cloud services and social media sites in their business could impact the privacy of their employees, their customers, and also it could impact compliance with their applicable legal requirements. I will also be providing some recommendations to address the associated requirements and the risks. Now, this event is part of a series of events to promote promote women in security and also to provide a platform to educate participants from various companies. It's one of the many different types of events and opportunities that's provided by the event sponsors in the greater Kansas City area to support professional development of those who are in the information assurance professions, such as information security, privacy, audit, and compliance, and other related types of professions. Now, today on my show, I'm happy to be speaking with a couple of key organizers for the event, Donna Gomez and Naeem Babri. I'm really excited to speak with them before I meet them in person on September 5th, Donna Gomez is 
Security Risk and Compliance Analyst for the Johnson County, Kansas government. Donna has been an information security awareness professional since 1999. Donna is a member of a working group that's developing an American National Standards Institute or ANSI standard on security awareness and training programs. Donna has earned a Certified Risk and Information Systems Control or C-RISC certification through ISACA which is designed for IT professionals with hands-on experience with risk identification, assessment, evaluation, response, and monitoring. Donna is the vice president of the Greater Kansas City Chapter of ISACA and program director, and she leads tech, mentor, and contributor. Naeem Babri has served as the ISSA Kansas City Chapter President since 2014. Naeem is Risk Manager at Sprint with a focus on risk assessments, information security, information security policy, privacy, and SOX controls. Naeem has been a member of the Sprint Corporate Security Team since 2011. Naeem's strong knowledge base of security, project management, and IT operations has led to various roles he's had at Sprint. Naeem holds a Master of Science degree in Computer Resource Management and a Bachelor of Science in Mathematics and Computer Science. Naeem serves as a member of the Park University Management Information System Advisory Board as a security expert providing industry perspectives and opinion on curriculum content. Naeem is also part of various advisory boards for local security conferences. Donna and Naeem, thank you so very much for being my guests today. Welcome to my show. Thanks for us being thank here. You, you know, thank I'm, you for having us. Yeah, well, I'm really looking forward to our conversation, and I thought we could start out just with some general career questions. You know, and I'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions on this. From your experiences and observations, what are some of the challenges that information security and privacy and compliance and audit practitioners, and I'm going to collectively refer to them as information assurance pros, but what do you see as uh, some of those challenges that they have for advancing their careers, and how do you see that they're meeting these challenges? As far as advancing their careers, um, you know, there's so many opportunities, but a lot of the assurance professionals are kind of stuck resolving the threats. They get, you know, so then it's hard to get pulled away to go and develop themselves. They kind of get stuck in a rut sometimes. And so one of the things I know that as a contributor is trying to promote, you know, here's this opportunity that you can go to to help you identify it. It's just a simple couple hours away that's going to give you some knowledge and you can ask some questions and also get some information from others who are in the field and learn to see if that's something you can apply in your day-to-day activities to build on what they're currently doing right now um, so that they, they're getting training, but yet it's not viewed from above because sometimes top level is, is looking at it as what's the best way to invest in training for, for professionals and 
they're getting that mentorship that really you can't put a price on as well as the information that they can apply back in their day-to-day responsibilities. Okay. That's yeah, a very good same. point. And I was going to say, like, for the, for the people who are already in their careers, I think sometime, uh, for, especially for larger companies, we get siloed into a particular role. Like, if mm-hmm. you are a practitioner of audit, you may not be dealing too much directly with privacy or other areas. So I think sometimes the challenge is to be uh, proactive in looking or learning or wanting to see what's happening you know, other parts of security, and also talking to uh, your management and other areas and say, hey, we want to see the holistic picture of this uh, risk or um, as, a, as security uh, impacts in the environment. You know, you both made some great points there about how they get to doing something and that's kind of where they get stuck in. You know, that that was kind of like early in my career. I started as a systems engineer and I was uh, built the, the change control systems at a large company. And I started noticing when they started telling me, oh, you do this so well, we don't know how we could uh, ever not have you doing this. That, that sent off the bells in my head that, uh-oh, I better start looking at other opportunities or otherwise I'm going to be doing change control my entire career, which... You know, I loved what I was doing then, but it sounds like, you know, that's something that a lot of other organizations face. They, they might be doing so well at, at one particular thing that they don't get a chance to get out and stretch their, their legs and, and do other things uh, within this profession. So what do you think are some of the, the most challenging areas within information assurance uh, that you're seeing you know, is it within the information security space, within privacy, within audit? I mean, what are you seeing uh, with regard to what you're discussing in the Kansas City area with all your colleagues there? I will say, uh, from my perspective, I see a lot of things pertaining to privacy. Um, multiple things in privacy. One is um, uh Certain, certain demographic, they may have a different understanding of what is PII data, why we need to protect it, why is it important to protect it. They may think, we just finished college. It's okay to share that. That's the best way to network with people, to get new jobs and things. And, you know, so their perspective on PII data of their own is very different. So when they look in, when they start working in a corporate America or somewhere else, they think of PII data, oh, it's the same thing as your business card. We don't need to protect this. So I would say PII data kind of, I see a lot lately, like I think earlier you were mentioning about applications on your mobile devices. Some of that, those applications may be sending your data back to the country of origin uh, of those applications. So I, I noticed a lot of things pertaining to privacy is very important and make sure people understand why we need to protect that data because that's a first step towards compromising your identity and phishing attacks. And lots of other things can happen from that first step. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. I mean, that's just one piece of it and where I kind of simplify it into it's the balance of security versus compliance. Uh, the auditors are looking for ways. I mean, it's very, I would say, it, I'm going to use it in quotes, of course, is that mm-hmm. it's easier to explain the management 
measurements when you're dealing with Sarbanes-Oxley and how you're, how you're doing the, the control evaluation that way. And you would think that it's simple to apply those same steps and, st- and the same strategy when you're looking at privacy practice as well as other information security, the things that they're looking at more on the cybersecurity side that, uh, you know, given it the new Coke, old Coke kind of verbiage there, but mm-hmm. what on what matters to the board and how you would measure things because you hear about click rates, you hear about you know, secure coding, the different requirements that are out there for all these compliance and regulatory bodies, what HIPAA is expecting and what PCI is expecting. But the thing is, is that no one is speaking the same language. They look at it as uh, as different types of responsibility or different types of requirements when really the same objective is trying to be met because it's about reducing the impact of that risk occurring. And so balancing that conversation of are we secure, but are we compliant, it's trying to get that language together. And I I run into this often, you know, I work in the public sector, so it's very hard as on the privacy part because there's this assumption in government that all of our information is public because we're a public entity, but that's really not the point. And then there's other agencies that will look at just like how Naeem was bringing up the example with the business card, you know, oh, well, they can just get that information anywhere. It's how that information is used. And so, you know, when that gets tied in with social engineering and how that leads to another threat, and we've seen what happens with social engineering engineering, again, you know, how do you teach people about privacy and how privacy is like that first step in protecting yourself, and then, you know, it's a person's right to know, and then do you really want them to know in order to create this security hazard to yourself or to your agency that you work for? Um, I think that's the biggest challenge is trying to find that balance. Well, and that uh, you both brought up such great points about the common language and, you know, personal information and personal data. When, when you were both talking about that, I, I immediately thought of the, the challenges that I see with so many of my clients is everyone has a different idea of what personal data is or personal information. And so mm-hmm. even at at the board level, they think of that differently than those who are building the apps and building the systems. And then, you know, that creates a huge problem potentially within organizations because they aren't, they don't know what personal data is. So everybody is protecting different types of information that may or may not be personal data in different ways and the context within which it's used is different. Are you seeing that too um, within the organizations where you're working and, and helping? Yeah. So for, yeah. And I was going to say also like when the data is defined, it makes it easy. Like for example, if you're in a telecom structure, so the definition of data is now uh, CPNR. So we kind of know, in a big scheme of things, kind of know majority of the fields or data items will classify as CPNI data. When it becomes PI data, you know, we kind of know what it is, bare minimum, but it's not as clear. So when you do, for example, audit and other things, a lot of them auditors will have exact verbiage on what are they trying to audit, and that makes it easy. But I would say from compliance perspective, and like for telecom, you know, we have GDR, uh, GDRP, straight, before that was Safe Harbor. So when we work with international, uh, you know, uh, companies, how 
does this data goes from one place to another. Um, so I do notice that. And it seems like, too, with that, the personal data, you know, you mentioned the specific type of regulation to follow, but now we have these regulations, so the EU General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, that, of course, is a huge hot topic right now, mm-hmm. and yeah, and the definition of personal data for it is pretty much open and you really have to do a lot of critical analysis within an organization to determine what specific data can be associated with specific individuals. So that's going to be different from one organization to the next. And I think that that's probably a big challenge for a lot of professionals as well. I look at it also from the standpoint of if you are a global perspective, you know, so if your customer base, you're trying to expand yourself where you have international presence, not only do you have the EU, so you have, you know, the GDPR requirements, but you also have, if you're dealing with the, just in the U.S. itself, we have different, we don't have a government policy that sets forth what is required for privacy. It varies. We have HIPAA, but, you know, that is only, that's, just healthcare compliance. That doesn't help any of these other entities. Like you have the Texas, that Texas has their privacy law, and but you compare it to Massachusetts, and then you compare it to California, and all of these different requirements on what's done. And then New York has their guidance as well. They're they're similar, but they're different as far as when it comes to notification when there's a breach, and. It's ba- that balancing act. It's like you want to do business with someone else or you're, tra- you're transmitting information, whether electronically or sending them something in the mail. You have to be aware of where they're receiving that data and know what the law, how the law applies to it. So in case there is some type of breach, you know, again, it's bringing that security and the, and the compliance, that, that whole balancing act there. You could actually put your, you know, set yourself up for failure if you don't get involved. You know, don't talk to legal even, and just say, "How do we address this? What do we need to do for it?" Because um, just putting a privacy notice out there usually isn't enough when it comes down yeah. to what happens when we have a breach in those specific areas. Yeah, Donna, I think you brought up a good point. From my perspective, also, we for big companies and the. Uh, previous things I've done, we always end up getting a lawyer involved on data classification. Okay, uh, this is for a privacy perspective, like, okay, this is the data we're collecting, what fields we need to protect, what is considered privacy-restricted data, what we need to do next. Because sometimes it is gray, uh, like sometimes things, a uh, number by itself could be benign-sounding number, but according to our lawyers, they will say, oh, it relates to an individual, and in that state law, it's considered restricted data, and we need to protect that. Yeah. So, keeping up with just the laws and regulations, because I think it becomes so complex, like you're talking about, and the fact that there's usually so many different legal requirements for an organization beyond just whatever is in their state, of course. I mean, you have to think about where all the individuals are from 
whose yeah. personal data that you have. And you might have people uh, who are citizens of the EU that are living in Kansas, let's say. So all of a sudden, you know, they might have citizenship there and now you're dealing with their data and you have to think about GDPR. Or you might have people who are, are located elsewhere in the world and you have a breach. So now all of a sudden you have to follow the breach notice for the countries where those folks are from. So, you know, that's definitely a, a, a challenge. Um, so beyond then all these legal definitions of personal data and um, also just the, the legal requirements for protecting them, we also have to deal with growing types of threats and vulnerabilities. And we're going to be taking a break here in about a, a minute. But I thought I'd start us out just kind of thinking about some of the latest threats that are out there. I mean, what leaps to mind first for each of you when you think about a new threat that you have to deal with that you haven't had to worry about in the past? I look at it as it's the same threat, just it has a different coat, <laughs> so to speak, ah. <laughs> um, because they just, you know, all of the threats that are out there, they, it's just, it's like reusing the same stuff, but they just put a different coat. I mean, it, it just has a different wrapper to it. Um, mm-hmm. When I started doing security awareness in 1999, I stood up in front of a class of customer service, customer service agents that were responding to email and and phone calls on support. And the first thing that I taught them is when you receive an email, yes, it could be from a customer, but you need to look at it, you know, like telling them the things to look for as far as making a suspicious email. And, hey, if it has that VBS script, you know, as an attachment, don't click on it. Don't run it. If you see an executable file as an attachment, don't run it. Don't open up the PDF if that's not something you're expecting. And... You know, so what am I telling people still today? Don't click on the mm-hmm. link. Don't click on, don't open up attachments from people you don't know. All these different things. And, you know, with the way the ransomware happens, with the way the social engineering occurs, I mean, that's just that first front. If we, we can have all these security controls in place, but it's still that educational factor that needs to be, mm-hmm. people need to know, here, here's the threat. It just might look a little bit different every single time. Um, you know, how do you yeah. make them be more aware and more suspicious of things? Uh, consider the, consider everything's a threat until you validate that it's not a threat, and, and move that practice forward. That those are yeah. great ways to approach it. Naeem, we we need to take a break right now, but when we come back, I'll start with you with um, the threat that you have coming up. You know, at top of mind. So thank you, uh, Donna and Naeem. Right now, it's time for a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that I do appreciate so much. We're speaking today about professional development opportunities with Donna Gomez and Naeem Babri. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my website, Symbus360.com and PrivacyGuidance.com. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. 
The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. We're speaking today with Donna Gomez and Naeem Babri about professional development for information security and privacy professionals. And also, we will be speaking about the September 5th event at the Sprint Campus in Overland Park. So, um, we're going to continue our conversation where we left off before the break. We were talking about what threats uh, come to mind. Naeem, so what threat is it that you're seeing uh, is the latest thing that you're dealing with? Some threats, um, I look at it, you know, there are two types. Majority of the threats come either in two ways, and one is like software patch or some kind of a uh, vulnerability. And second is majority of them is like human, like uh, phishing attacks. So I think a lot of the ways people threat-wise, they're able to get into our system through phishing attacks. They get our credentials or some other means, you know, clever way of getting to our system, getting their credentials. And once they get that, they can get into our systems. And I think that is the hardest thing to ma- manage because the things like, you know, when you hear about a Struxnet from Apache, uh, flaw or ghost script or some other flaws. You know, you know that those systems are there. You know what you need to do. You need to patch them. And it's an easy way to do that. It's hard sometimes when you have thousands and thousands of servers to work on, but it's still manageable. But to predict who's, what new phishing attacks are coming, who's going to get into that, and I think that's a hard one because a lot of things, even though we have a lot of tools to scan for phishing attacks, but some of them are still pretty clear and pretty nicely done where they go through all the filters. 
and somebody or customer will be able to get into it and go, oh, I guess I forgot my login ID. Let me redo it. And I think that's how they got get into DNC. I think it was on the news today or yesterday. So I think I would say phishing attacks, I worry more about those than software or hardware patches. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know what's so interesting, too, about that? Of course, humans have always been our our weakest link in uh security, right? And it's not because of anything necessarily maliciously they're doing. Sometimes they do malicious things, but that awareness is so important because if people can be tricked into allowing someone into your network, then like you said, they could exploit those unpatched systems mm-hmm. and so on. And and Donna, that's why I think it's so really cool that you're uh, working on an ANSI standard for awareness and training. So I I think that is uh, something that will be very valuable to organizations. So the question for both of you guys, do you, I mean, like uh, I see, at least in some of the larger organizations, they focus quite a bit on security awareness. And, you know, they go through their cycles on either quarterly to help people educate them, you know, if you get a call or if you get an email, what to look for. Um, Donna, do you see that in your area, too, for security awareness perspective? Yeah, and the thing is, is what, you know, I'm looking, again, I go back to 1999 and what's some lessons learned that I've had. And it just can't be one time is considered sufficient use of awareness and training. You train once a year. I can understand that because that's usually a deep down, a deep dive into the security concepts that you want people to learn, especially educating them on process and and policy. But the awareness is very valuable as well as simulations and also changing the methods of delivery. Um, Don't just send it as an email. Don't just send it as a CBT. Just don't have, you know, a and in person, use all the different methods because everybody learns differently. And also, you know, uh, again, since I started out with call center agents in 99, I look at it from the perspective of what their managers were measuring. And they look at a call as, you know, first call resolution, that's average talk time, average hold time, and all of those types of things. So we program our help desk personnel as well as customer service personnel to respond quickly to calls and respond quickly to emails. We want you to resolve and take care of the customer immediately. You think about it from a behavioral perspective, we have actually conditioned people to not stop and think and actually use their analytical side of their brain, we're making them react versus determine the best response for the message that's being delivered to them. And that's the part in education that I keep promoting is that, you know, allow people to take the time to think, know the way a person processes data, and take away these measurements that really aren't telling you anything as far as, except you're trying to drive or cost calls. I mean, that's back in the old way of making calls. You know, now it's IP, so it's it's less expensive, right? Um 
think mm-hmm. about those users. How are you protecting the system? If they're your first line of defense, then you need to give them all the ammunition they can possibly have. Allow them that opportunity to stop and think so that they're not in this response, you know, quick response time and just at a reactive state. Give them the time to process the information and actually, you know, exercise the things you're including in the training that you're telling them to stop and think. But if they've got this measurement that they're being held to, to respond to a call or respond to an email within a certain amount of time, you're defeating the whole purpose. Those are such good points. And, and Naeem, what about um, at Sprint? I mean, what are some of the things for awareness that you're doing there? So, uh, so we are, at Sprint, we are... Uh, we do have a person that manages our security awareness program, and I think we do quite a few cycles in a year to make sure we are keeping up with security awareness. And uh, like uh, in October, we're gonna ha- we have a lot of posters all around Spin Campus and talking about different parts of um, security awareness. And like I think for us, our, in the last year and this year too, we've focused quite a bit on phishing attacks. Um, phishing attacks, because you know, when some, by mistake, if you com- your credentials are compromised, then you're you get into our network or systems, you know, and then you can move forward. So those are the things we're noticing lately. We've been talking a lot uh, in Sprint and outside Sprint too is IoT because we need to really know what IoT devices what is because for like OS normal op, you know your workstation or servers you know what the patches are what is the weakness you know what is your cycles are but IoT devices we don't talk about those we don't have set standards for them hey we need to update these there's not a single site where it said oh for these IoT devices you need to update that this is a new vulnerability on that. So those are the conversations we're having here. Those IoT devices, those um, concern me so much because, you know, there's so many of them that attach into a network through the the authorized endpoints. And they're, you know, different devices that your employees or your contracted workers might have. So I would think that would be a, a pretty hot topic as well, I know there in the in your different groups, you, you belong to ISSA, to ISACA, and others. Have um, those groups been talking about different hot topics like IoT security and privacy, and and some other topics uh, that are of current concern? Yes, yes. That we, uh, I do believe. Between all of the different groups, we try not to recycle the same themes um, unless it's something that's been requested and we kind of get the part two from another speaker. But IoT has been covered a lot in this area. We do, uh, we've had the drone talk as well. Mm. And, mm-hmm. you know, the thing about the unmanned devices is that I came from also working in the energy sector. So, I look at the threat of a drone totally differently from an automation standpoint and like what the what great things you can do with it remotely. I look at it from somebody can do something bad and malicious and mm-hmm. with by using a drone. And so it's those types of conversations we've uh, there was a recent talk I can't remember which one of our events we were talking about uh, the Roombas and how the new mm-hmm. ones that are you know, that you can connect to your phone, it's basically given that geospatial information of your the layout of your house from where it hits on the wall. So if someone was to get connected to your device, basically that 
someone could have the layout of your home from your Roomba hitting each each of the walls and the doors and all of that kind of stuff, how many stairs and, and so forth. So it's things like that to think on how, again, how can data be used against a person? Um, no matter what the device is, it's like, what's the data? How's that data being shared? How can that data be accessed? Definitely. Yeah, that's a very good point for uh, from the Roomba perspective. I also saw somewhere where they were talking about not only somebody, if it's, they can get to your device, they can get the data from the cloud, you know, what your house layout is, how many bedrooms you have, mm-hmm. you know, what do you need to do if you're trying to do something malicious. And also the companies themselves, uh, they can also use that data to market and do other things with that. So uh, IoT devices are very concerning. Like that is a relatively big device, like small devices, like even the watches. I think you, we all probably heard about Strava, I guess, I think it was six months ago or so where... Uh, they, we will notice on the you know maps on Strava maps you will see remote sites sites in maybe Afghanistan or some other countries where you will see these people running and you go there's nothing there why there is Strava running paths then if somebody googled I mean zoom further in and they will go oh these are military sites so these devices not only compromise uh, your data it's also showing strategic information in some cases where maybe you know, key locations maybe for military and other things and for all, everybody as well. So, so those are the two big examples. That our watches, besides showing, G, uh, you know, GPS location, I don't know what all the data is getting, is getting collected uh, and all the other things. Um, I, like, you know, our light bulbs, they are all, you know, you know, when we ask them to turn on, off, what else they can do. Uh, we already heard things about uh, Amazon, like, I think it was some kind of a murder or something they wanted um, the last 30 seconds of the data to see if they can find out what happened. So what we're getting at is these devices are collecting a lot of our data, and we were earlier talking about privacy. If we don't know exactly what they're collecting on our behalf or to work you know, nicely for us to help us out, we really can't protect ourselves without knowing what's really happening and what is our data shared. So that is a concern, and I think that area is going to keep on evolving. And I'm hoping, and I'm optimistic, that uh, hopefully we will know exactly in EULAs that exactly what is going to be shared with the company itself, because that's most likely the data that's going to be compromised. Well, and you know, with these IoT devices... It, it truly is expanding risk, too, to not only just to data and systems and everything else, but, it, you know, as both of you are talking about how you can get information about where a person is and what they're doing, this also brings physical security and safety risk because now the in, information and insights, if that's misused, that can lead to someone knowing where someone is and, and possibly going there and doing things but also uh, an area that I work with a lot are medical devices. And, Mm -hmm. you know, with those, just imagine if you change the settings just by one decimal point for uh, an insulin pump, that could have deathly um, results to those who are dependent upon that. And uh, it's really expanding out from just the digital world into our physical world and and truly having safety impacts as well. Yep. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah. We do, like you made a good point. I forget when I'm in the hospital, all of these devices are not connected and you're 
prescription or your dosage could be altered and you may not know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And like with the drones, um, you know, those can be used to tell where people are at pretty easily. You were talking about the drones, Donna, and that's such an interesting topic for me, too. I actually spoke up in Alaska a couple of uh two years in a row to a mapping conference because they were thinking about those issues like you're talking about. You know, what are the privacy and security issues with the use of drones and how they're capturing images? So I think once we start brainstorming on these things, um, it's really interesting and revealing all the possibilities. And I would think with all of the different events you guys are putting on, um, and you get all of the professionals together, I, I can anticipate that you probably have some really interesting discussions at these events. No, yes. Yes, we do. And it, it's always funny because it's a, it's a hard, it's really hard because in our, in our positions, you know, we like to embrace new technology because mm-hmm. we look at ways to, to make our jobs easier, um, you know, try, you know, ways to improve the way we can monitor and control the systems. But at the same time, we look at what are we losing? It's just like, you know, the whole decision to go into cloud services, whether, you know, whatever that might, what, how we are using it and how we're doing the deployment of it. Are we really looking at all the security controls from it? And sometimes it's the last side. And, um, you know, and like I bring up the drone, I had a person who just kept talking about it. He goes, here's all the things that they could do. And he looks over at me and I said, oh, my gosh. And he goes, what's wrong? Don't you like the drone? Don't you think this will be great? And I go, I'm looking at the way this can be used against us. I said, so I said, you know, I, I understand where you're going, and I'd love to use it because it seems really cool. But I look at how somebody can do surveillance, and I can't control what they're doing in a restricted area because they can go into this, you know, do things with it. So it's it's that whole discussion. Yeah, we have some pretty. It's it, it, again, it's like we we want to embrace the nerdiness within. Yet we have mm-hmm. to put on the security hat or we have to put on the audit hat and we have to look at the risk and then we kind of have to shoot ourselves and say, okay, don't get too excited about it. Don't sell it. You know, don't sell the technology until we've worked all of these details out. Exactly. And uh, it's so interesting, too. I mean, there's so much going on here just in the Midwest. I mean, I was born and raised in Missouri. I got my uh, Bachelor of Science at Central Missouri State in mathematics and computer science. So, Naeem, I heard, you know, I was interested to see that you have a degree in that as well. And um, I love living and working in the Midwest. And, you know, so many of my listeners are from uh, coastal areas or from other countries. But I, I just have always found a lot of great opportunity here in the Midwest for information security and privacy uh, and compliance work, um, I guess, what would you want our listeners to know about, um, you know, having careers in the Midwest? It, this isn't just flyover country, right? I mean, it's a great place to be and work, and there's a lot of cutting-edge stuff going on, especially at a lot of our universities in the Midwest. So what do you wish more of the, the folks would know about um, working, having professions in these areas in the Midwest? There's a lot of opportunity in the Midwest. Um, we have a lot of security professionals. 
whether their title has the name security in it or not. Uh, you know, there is a lot of knowledge and talent here. And you brought up the universities, you know, they're, they are looking for people to help them with case studies because there's a lot of research on behavior and looking at, you know, what makes a person commit crimes. So they've done, you know, there's the studies of how someone makes that ethical choice of when they end up committing fraud. And that's the reason why we have specific rules in place at banks and other agencies where there's, uh, transactions with that hit financials, but also looking at it from the security perspective. I mean, there's, I, I, I can't, there isn't a company I can not mention that doesn't have something in information security or privacy or something that ties back in with compliance and audit. Cause there's, again, it's just, it's not just one name. Um, it's other duties as assigned. It's also your job title may change just because it's an ever evolving universe that we're in and we're dealing with the threats. And um, so, yeah, this isn't flyover country. If you're looking for opportunity, you're looking for ideas to recreate yourself. There's a lot in the Midwest. I agree with you, Donna. There's a lot of stuff going in. There's a lot of great talent here. And, um, uh, it looks like, uh, Rebecca, you travel a lot, too. So I've been to East Coast, West Coast, and International, too. I think uh, the talent here is no different than anywhere else. The conversation we have, have are, are no different than anywhere else. I think it's because it's the same technology we on the same issues we deal with, no matter where you're at. So we do have a lot of great talent. I mean, I think everybody knows we have a lot of big companies here, too, like Garmin is here, Sprint is here, Hallmark is here, Cerner is here. These are major uh, companies and security is really key to their business and without security they won't go you know they can't be successful I remember this um, I don't know maybe 15-20 years ago when people used to say we need to use IT as a leverage to be successful in our business because sort of IT was kind of new now the idea is we need to use security as a leverage to be successful in their business idea and I think it's very uh, apparent now so no matter what uh, company it is in Midwest Everybody needs security and protect their assets, and they need to understand what is the data because we have moved into this digital world where everything is saved somewhere. If it's in the cloud, if it's on your local on-premise or whatever, so we need to protect that. So uh, there are a lot of talent and a lot of options and opportunities here. And I think Sprint does something called Sprint Accelerator once a year where all these developers and people come in from all over, and it's sort of a... uh, Kind of like somebody wins an award, and you know they guide them through how to take launch their product, basically whatever that application may be. Yes, I mean there's a lot going on here, and there's so many tech companies uh, that are startups here as well. Um, I know yeah. in I- Iowa, especially data warehouses. I mean, just here around the Des Moines. Iowa area where I live, we have Google data warehouses, we have Microsoft, we have Facebook, uh, we have Amazon, we have uh, several others, and um, as they're creating these huge 
mega data warehouses, of course, then they need folks that's going to make sure that they're secured. And so a lot of times they look towards Iowa State University or um, University of Iowa or going down, you know, to Central Missouri State or MU or KU and and different places. So I think uh, there's a lot more going on here when people uh, hear that there's a lot of digital expansion and a lot of cutting edge work like with the grid security and privacy with ag security and privacy I think a lot of Mm -hmm. people just don't think about that yeah I mean you brought up agriculture and that's really Mm -hmm. that's really one yes I I, you know even I forget about it and I used to live right by Dairy Farmers of America so um, (laughs) and there is technology associated with that and there are security controls associated with protecting agriculture here in the state and you know the Midwest yeah hey if you like beef that's where it comes from but um, (laughs) but again there's there's a lot of protections there's there's a, there's a need for security in agriculture, and and they've you know there is there's things that are out there that have talked about the different ways you, we can be impacted, and you know if it's the water supply, if it's the, the it's the grid, it's our food supply, it's the technology that we're using, and everything else. I mean, I, again, I can't say it enough. It's like there really isn't an organization that I can think of, or an industry that I can think of that does not have a need for security or privacy or some kind of compliance and audit arm because I see it all the time and, it, yes. and a lot of times they they, they might not even know that they need it but then they put the job out there and then they get the response and they're like oh my gosh I should we should have had this a long time ago because then they see what they've been missing Yes, yes. Well, if yeah. believe it or not, we're getting to close to the end. And before we go, I want to talk about the September 5th event. So it's Spotlight on Security, Staying Cyber Smart. And could one of you tell us quick about uh, who the sponsors are and uh, logistics, time, location, price, and so on? Yeah. Donna, do you want to do that? Yep, I've got that. So we're, it's sponsored by Netscope. Google Cloud and Proofpoint, and it's hosted by Sprint. Um, This is a partnership with ISSA, ASACA, and Women in Security of Kansas City. The event is $25 a person, and it's $10 for students, and CPEs will be issued to all those who attend. Is there anything you want to add, Naeem? Yeah, um, let's see. And it starts at 2 o'clock is when the presentation starts. It ends at 5 o'clock. And did you only mention there are, keynote, three, there are three, uh, three, uh, keynote speakers? And then there's a panel discussion at the end. And let's see what else we have. And the topics we're going to cover are uh, privacy on cloud, instant response, and physical security. So um, definitely rounding out a very wide range of things. I'm really looking forward uh, to that event. And as far as the CPEs, uh, will that? How many hours of CPEs will attendees be able to get? I know I always get people asking me about that. Yeah, two and a half. Two point five. Yeah, two and a half. Two and a half. So, hey, everybody, if you are in the Kansas City area, Overland Park is a beautiful area. So, I, um, the whole Kansas City 
uh, greater Kansas City area is. So if you have a chance to go, definitely would love to to meet you there. And and Donna and Naeem, I'm really looking forward to meeting you there too. So thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. So today I've been chatting with Donna Gomez and Naeem Babri about professional development for information security and privacy professionals and the upcoming September 5th event at the Sprint Campus in Overland Park, uh, Kansas. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. Please tune in to the show each week. If you can't make our scheduled live time, then you can certainly listen to the recordings on any of your favorite podcast outlets and on the voiceamerica.com. Business Channel website. And let me know if you're interested in being a show sponsor or advertiser. So I urge you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, go to your job and do your daily work or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it is uh, secured and potentially used in ways that impact your privacy. Don't be afraid to ask those organizations who take your personal data how, they're, how they are protecting your data. It's your data after all. So until our next show, ask those you do business with and, and the ones you work for if they're doing all they can to secure the information that you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the week ahead and if you are are in Overland Park, Kansas on September 5th. I hope to see you there as well. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.